It's good to be here today and to continue our studies, our lessons regarding issues of distinction. Our next issue of distinction is the purpose of baptism. So far in this series, we've studied the existence of God, the identity of God, uh, the all-sufficiency of the scriptures, and the identity of Jesus and who Jesus was. Our lesson today, the purpose of baptism. You know that some say that baptism has nothing at all to do with salvation. Others say that baptism is an integral major part of God's plan in saving man. Today, we will examine and study the common view of baptism held by most denominations, what the scriptures actually say about baptism, and conclude with what difference it makes. The common denominational view, this is what I learned as a child growing up, what I learned in Bible school before I came to the Lord's church, was that baptism has nothing whatsoever to do with salvation. However, is that what the scriptures teach? Is that truly what the scriptures say? Does baptism really, truly not have anything to do with salvation? Baptists believe that no one is subject to baptism until that person is already saved. What does the scripture say? I quote from the Baptist manuals, we believe it is a positive command enjoyed upon the believing saved soul and is essential to true loving obedience. Baptists believe that the immersion of a believer is an open declaration to the world that such a one is dead to sin. Again, the immersion is a proclamation that the, to the world that we believe in him who died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It is a proclamation of our belief that Christ arose from the dead. This is what some of the Baptists say. Now my purpose today is not to single out Baptists or any other denomination. Baptists, and not all Baptists would agree with the above statements, but it is indicative of most Baptist churches, Baptist teachers and preachers and members and most Protestants today. The purpose of baptism from this perspective is that baptism is simply nothing more than a public declaration of one's faith in Jesus Christ. It's a command to be obeyed after salvation, similar to the command to observe the Lord's Supper. It is therefore, according to them, non-essential to salvation. In other words, a person can be saved without being baptized either or. The question, though, is baptism necessary for salvation? I don't want to beat around the bush today. I want to be plain and clear. That is incorrect. Baptism is definitely necessary for salvation. Baptism helps. And baptism saves, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. Now, this is what the Bible teaches. They claim, the denominations claim, that there is no teaching in the Bible that defines the purpose for baptism as that of salvation. 
and an appeal is usually made or often made to the baptism of Jesus Christ by John the Baptist. They say that Jesus was baptized to publicly introduce himself to Israel as the Messiah, and that therefore the purpose for Christian baptism to serve a similar purpose, public profession of ourselves to the world as disciples of Jesus. It's an interesting correlation, but not one that the scriptures themselves make. If baptism was only a public proclamation of one's faith, why was the Ethiopian eunuch baptized when nobody could witness it but Philip the evangelist? We read in Acts chapter 8, verse 35 through 39, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe in all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. When he asked what might hinder him from being baptized, why wasn't he told to wait till it could be done publicly? if it's just a public proclamation of faith. The fact that he was baptized when it was just Philip and he would imply that there is some other purpose for baptism. Let's consider too the baptism of the Philippian jailer and the jailer's family. Acts chapter 16 beginning in verse 25. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword, and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he, the jailer, called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeant, saying, Let those men go. You see, the Philippian jailer and his family were baptized immediately. While it was still midnight, hours before daylight, hours before it could be a public ceremony or a public proclamation of faith. Why didn't Paul tell them to wait till a special baptismal service could be arranged? Or why didn't Paul instruct them to wait until the church could come together and vote as to whether or not they could be baptized. Both of these examples, the jailer and the eunuch, imply that the purpose of baptism is for some reason other than a public confession of faith in God. There seems to be a sense of urgency in both of these cases. 
Indeed, in every case where baptism is described in detail in the book of Acts, it occurs immediately after one lesson. In other words, one lesson was enough to give people the faith that they needed to obey that form of doctrine and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. The purpose has nothing to do with public or private. What does the Bible teach about baptism then? When you are baptized into Christ, the Bible says lots of things about what happens and what's going on there. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27, you learn, we learn that one puts on the Lord Jesus Christ when he or she is baptized in water for the remission of their sins. Paul says there, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We learn in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 that one's sins are washed away in baptism. There the preacher says to Saul of Tarsus, blind Saul from the Damascus Road experience, why are you tarrying? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We learn from Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 that one's sins are, are forgiven, remitted, washed away in baptism. Peter says to them that great day and that great sermon, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We learn from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, that we die to sin, that we are freed from sin, from the bondage of sin and baptism. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized to his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. We learn from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, that when we're baptized, we're placed into the body of Christ. There the apostle Paul writes, For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been made all to drink in one spirit. You're saved through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in baptism. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, the apostle Peter makes an appeal to baptism by saying this, that it is the figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answers of a good conscience by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now George Beasley Murray, a Baptist scholar, wrote in his book, Baptism of the New Testament, these following quotations. Mr. Murray says, in the light of the foregoing exposition of the New Testament representations of baptism, the idea that baptism is purely a symbolic rite must be pronounced not alone unsatisfactory, but completely out of harmony with the New Testament itself. 
Admittedly, such a judgment runs counter to the popular tradition of the denomination to which the writer belongs, referring to himself and the Baptist denomination. The extent and nature of the grace which the New Testament writers declare to be present in baptism is astonishing for any who come to the study freshly with an open mind, he continues. The grace available to man in baptism is said by the New Testament writers to include the following elements. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, there's the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing of sins. Acts 22, verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Union with Christ, Galatians 3, verse 27. Union with him particularly in his death and resurrection, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. With all that implies of release from sin's power as well as guilt and the sharing of the risen life, of the Redeemer. Again, we refer you to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. We read through verse 7 a few minutes ago. Now let's read the rest of this passage. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being dead, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We find that in baptism there is participation in Christ's sonship. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. There is consecration to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Hence there is membership in the church, the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, 28, and 29. In baptism, there is a possession or, or an indwelling of the Spirit of God, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, and chapter 12, verse 13. Therefore, we have the new life of the Spirit in regeneration. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. In baptism, we have grace to live according to the will of God. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He answers the rhetorical question. In verse 2 says, God forbid. How, that we, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, we learn that in baptism we gain an inheritance to the kingdom of God and the pledge of the resurrection body. There Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Yes, definitely. When one comes to the Bible with an open mind, willing to consider honestly candidly, whatever the Bible says about baptism, they'll conclude, as Mr. Murray did, that the idea of baptism as a purely symbolic rite is unsatisfactory. It is out of harmony with the New Testament. They will agree ultimately with Martin Luther, who so long ago said, in answer to the question, what gifts or benefits does baptism bestow? He said in his small catechism, it effects forgiveness of sins. He also wrote regarding the sinner 
Through baptism, he is bathed in the blood of Christ and is cleansed from sins. Mr. Luther got the idea, understood the concept that it is in baptism that sins are washed away because it is through the waters of baptism that the person becomes, comes in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. Mr. Luther wrote in his commentary on Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, saying, Baptism has been instituted that it should lead us to the blessings of death and through such death to eternal life. Therefore, it is necessary that we should be baptized into Jesus Christ and his death. And ultimately, one will concur with Augustine, who said, referring to the efficacy of baptism, the salvation of man is effected in baptism. Also, that a person is baptized for the express purpose of being with Christ. With regard to the necessity of baptism, Augustine refers to the apostolic tradition by which the churches of Christ maintain it to be an inherent principle that without baptism it is impossible for any man to attain salvation and everlasting life. Indeed, along with the perspective of church history, as we've just demonstrated, the Bible clearly teaches that the purpose of baptism is one that relates to the saving of one's soul. For as one is baptized... They are saved by God's grace and power and united with Christ and thereby they receive all the benefits of his death. This enables them to rise up a new creature, to walk in a new life and to have a new way. What is the ramifications? Does it really make any difference why one is baptized? Some boldly proclaim that it makes no difference whatsoever, that God will accept a baptism for a different person. They say that while a person may mistakenly think that they were saved at the point of believing, their sins are forgiven actually at the point of baptism, so it really doesn't matter their purpose. It is very dangerous and presumptuous to speak on God's part. When the Bible does not say what he will or will not do under certain circumstances, we should be silent also. There is a difference, though, that we need to consider as we conclude this lesson. At best, it raises serious questions about one's obedience to the gospel. Has one really obeyed Jesus Christ if they responded to a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ? People today, by and large, are told simply to repent and pray. But the apostles nowhere commanded such. They commanded people to repent and be baptized, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Can someone be taught wrong and baptized right? I don't think so. In Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 5, we have a case of what might be called rebaptism. John's baptism, we understand, John the Baptist's baptism did not qualify as meeting the conditions of Jesus' baptism. We read in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, And it came to pass, while, the, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name 
of the Lord Jesus, by the authority of the Lord Jesus, not by the authority of John the Baptist. Even though John the Baptist's baptism was the will of God for that time, John's baptism required rebaptism in Jesus' name. How much more those who are not baptized for the right purpose today? At worst, there's some serious consequences. We find out that people who sincerely think they are saved are still lost. Preachers and teachers who say baptism has nothing to do with salvation are teaching a perverted gospel and are accursed, according to, Rome, to Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, where Paul says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said that before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. In any case, it does affect the way one preaches. Here's Mr. Murray again. He says, and I quote, First, there ought to be a greater endeavor to make baptism integral to the gospel. It has been taken axiomatic among us, this, these are Baptists, that the proclamation of the gospel consists of making the redemptive acts of God and Christ known and calling for faith in Christ as the due response. Baptism then is then the proper subject for exposition in the inquirer's class, along with instruction as to the nature of the church and worship of Christian obligation in the church and the world, so forth and so on. Peter's response, however, to the cry of his conscience-stricken hearers on the day of Pentecost when he preached that powerful gospel sermon was not repent and believe or repent and pray. It was repent and be baptized. Naturally, faith was presumed in repentance. But Peter's answer told the Jews how to become Christian. Faith and repentance are expressed in baptism so they can come to the Lord. He concludes his statement saying, Baptism is here a part of the proclamation of Christ. In an apostolic sermon, it comes as its logical conclusion. An effort ought to be made to restore this note in our preaching. That will certainly make a difference, Mr. Murray. Our response to the question, what shall we do, must be similar to Peter's response on the day of Pentecost, and it must be repent and be baptized. People will respond to our preaching Christ like the eunuch. Here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Yet today, rarely do you hear, sadly, rarely do you hear, a preacher commending his audience like Peter did. A listener who just heard a gospel lesson asked the question like the eunuch did. A teacher telling a penitent believer what Ananias told Saul of Tarsus, why are you waiting to rise and be baptized for the remission and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord? The reason should be clear. Our preaching seems to have changed. But the purpose of baptism, it's another distinction between the Lord's church and that of the denominations. It affects our preaching. But most importantly, it affects our eternal salvation. We must, therefore, fully understand the distinction between such views on baptism. And we must make certain that our understanding, that our preaching, 
and that our practice is in harmony with the Word of God. This is Mike Bolton with Live Like Jesus. I pray you have a wonderful day. May God bless you richly.